Now, I want you to pull out your notes. We're jumping back into the book of Daniel. And in this book, God tests Daniel with eight different tests. And every time he passed the test, he got promoted. And the premise of this whole book is with every blessing, there is a testing. And stress comes before success. God wants to know whether you can handle the blessings that he's going to be heading your way. He wants you to, under, wants you to know, do you have the character, the integrity, the, the maturity to handle them? And today, kids, we're going to take a look at a story that you've heard in Sunday school. And that is Daniel's three friends being thrown into the fiery furnace. I call this message, When the Heat is On. Now, adults, do you remember Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cops? It was about 35 years ago. This is ancient history for some of us, right? They had the theme song, The Heat Is On. They, played, or they paid Glenn Fry $15,000 for what they thought would be a throwaway song. And yet it became an international hit. Listen to this. That's enough. I wanted to sing it, but they denied me my time in the light, okay? Have you ever felt that way? This expression of heat is on came out of the 30s during the gangster era, and it means that the cops were chasing you. It means that the cops were interrogating you. Today, what it means is that the pressure is on that you are under pressure, maybe at your work or in your marriage or with something else going on in your life. Today in Daniel chapter 3, we're going to take a look at Daniel's three friends. Daniel isn't in this story. He's been given an assignment by King Nebuchadnezzar and he is out of the providence of Babylon. But Daniel's three friends are there. And this is a story about them in the fiery furnace. Now remember... Why Daniel and a number of other Jews are there is because Israel had rebelled against God. They had created idols, and they started worshiping those idols. For hundreds of years, God kept warning them, if you guys don't turn from your wicked ways and worshiping other gods and building all these idols, I'm going to send in an invading army. And that's exactly what happened. The largest empire in the world, headed up by King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world comes in. He destroys Judah, Israel. Destroys the temple and he takes back 25% of the, the population as POWs back to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar did this. He's the most powerful man of the most, uh, of the most powerful empire in the world. And with that prestige and that power, comes an ego. And egos in others oftentimes create tests in us. Let's read this story in Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. 
Then he sent messages to the, and these are in order of importance. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other providential officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all of these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This is an ego trip. I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar is into himself and his chest is popped out. It's all about me. And he goes on, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the scyther, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and the other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. In essence, he's saying, I want you to drop everything. This is all about me. It's not enough that I'm just the emperor of the most powerful man in the world. I want to be known as God. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This part of Daniel 3 is relevant to you and I today in our culture because we see four things that was happening there that happens today in our age. And I want you to write these down real quickly. Number one, the world creates larger-than-life images for me to worship. Today, we don't erect uh, 90-foot statues of gold. We still worship gold, but we don't erect statues of 90 feet. But we do put larger-than-life images on movie screens, actors and actresses, or athletes on some big uh, videotron in a stadium, or uh, in a concert with rock stars. We make them out to be God's. And these are the images oftentimes that our world wants us to worship. And folks, we do. We worship their physical beauty. We worship their wealth, their success, their fame, their fortune, their influence. The second thing that we find in these few verses here that that coincides with our culture is this. I am tempted because of this to create a false image of myself to impress others. And we all do this, don't we? We want honor, we we want to be loved, we want to be known, and and that's okay on Father's Day, okay? Just letting you know that, it's our day today, okay? We secretly want to be worshipped. And yet here's the danger, anytime I spend building my image, that is a potential trap because I am building my image that can quickly be turned into an idol, If there is one word that describes our culture today, folks, it's image. Image has replaced character. And some people don't have an idol out there. They have an idol in themselves. Hey, take a look at me. I'm cool. Now, how do you know if you have that kind of person in your life? Well, that's real simple. They want the world to revolve around them. You adapt to me, my needs, my wants, my desires. Today, we don't have idols that are out there. Today, we have idols oftentimes in ourselves. The third thing about this culture that corresponds with ours is this. If I reject the world's images and idols, people will try to burn me. 
Not physically, but in other ways. The world says, this is what's great, and this is what we want you to worship. And when you disagree with that, people are going to hurt you. There are people who want to burn you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down to this idol. And that made some people mad. Let's read this in the story. Daniel 3, 8 and following. It was then that some Babylonians took the opportunity to denounce the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may your majesty live forever. Your majesty has issued an order that as soon as the music starts, everyone is to bow. Bow down and worship the gold statue. And that anyone who does not bow down and worship it is to be thrown into a blazing furnace. There are some Jews whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are disobeying your majesty's orders. They do not worship your God or bow down to the statue you set up. These are their co-workers. How's that for loyalty, okay? Why, why did these guys rat on Daniel's three friends. Well, we don't know for sure, but I think we can pretty much speculate several reasons. One is that they were racially different. Maybe because of racial bigotry. They weren't Babylonians. Do we experience that today in our culture? Absolutely. Or maybe because of religious tolerance. The most persecuted faith in the world is Christianity. You may not realize that, but it is. They were Jewish. Or maybe it was for personal reasons. They were governors. They were at a certain place and other people may have wanted their job. So let me say this to us. When you go to work, there are going to be other people who are going to reject you for all kinds of different reasons. The point, though, is this. If you get rejected... Because you reject the world's values, understand people will try to burn you. Now there is one other thing in this story that relates to our culture. And it is this. Will you write this down? Doing the right thing always makes some people angry. If you do the right thing, if you're an honest person, if you're a person of integrity, if you show good godly character... It's going to make some people mad. And in this particular story, Daniel's three friends challenged King Nebuchadnezzar's narcissism. They said, you know what? Yes, you're king. And yes, you are powerful. But no, we are not going to worship your idol. We're not going to bow down to it. Now let me say this in regards to our culture. When you stand up for Christ, or you stand up, or when you stand up for Christ and you are a moral person, you are a person of integrity at your workplace, they're going, it's going to make people mad. But know this, it's not about your faith. You see, it's about their ego. King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't used to being told no. Now, I share that because 
In our lives and in this story, you see three different types of people, the same types of people that you work with, that you interact with in the world. People who kiss up, people who are stuck up, and then people who stand up. Nebuchadnezzar was one who was stuck up. It's all about me. I've got the power. The the bureaucrats were those who were the kiss-ups. And Daniel's three friends, they were those who stood up. My question to you is this. What kind of person are you in the marketplace? What kind of person are you in the business world? What kind of person are you at school? You see, why is it that these guys didn't bow down and just cave in? Hey, I just want to go along to get along. I don't want to create any waves here. Remember, the reason that they are POWs in a foreign land is because their fathers and their forefathers rebelled against God and created idols. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not going to break the first two commandments. First one being, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second one, let me read it to you, is this. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven or on earth or under the earth. And you shall not bow before them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And the reason that they were there was because their fathers and forefathers had broken the first two commandments. And God says, guess what? If you don't change your ways, I'm going to take your take you captive. And that's exactly what happened. The sins of the previous generations were passed on to future generations. And Daniel's three friends, three friends are POWs in a foreign land only because their fathers and forefathers refused to not worship idols. Let's read this in the story. Daniel 3, 13 through 15. At that time, the king flew into a rage. In other words, he's mad. And ordered the three men to be brought before him. He said to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you refuse to worship my God, to bow down to the gold statue that I have set up? It was of himself. Now then, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, oboes, lyres, zithers, harps, and all the other instruments, bow down and worship the statue. If you do not, you will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Do you think there is any God who can save you do you see what Nebuchadnezzar's doing here? Folks, he's having a God test. Let's see who's God in your life right now. Me, who's standing before you and has all the power that you are even aware of to be thrown into the furnace, or your so-called God. What a test. Now, what I want to do real quickly is I want to ask and answer two questions What should I do when the heat is on? What should I do when the heat is on? And secondly, what happens when I trust God when I am in that fiery furnace? If you are going through hell right now, guess what? You've chosen a good weekend to be at church. First, what do you do? 
four things very quickly. Number one, don't worry about defending yourself. When you're at work and the heat is on for you being a Christian, don't worry about defending yourself. Just quietly trust God that he will take care of your attackers. Take a look at Daniel 3, 16. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves in this matter. And by the way, you don't need to defend God. He's big enough to take care of himself. So don't worry when people attack you. Number two, remember that God has the power to save you. Remember that God has the power to save me. It doesn't matter what fire or mess that you are in. Just remember that God has the power to save you. Daniel 3, verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we worship is able to save us. Will you circle that phrase? God is able. That is quite a statement. But guess what? It's not enough just to think that God is able. Number three, you must believe that God will save me. When you are in some kind of mess, when you are in the furnace, in some kind of fire, you not only need to believe that God can save you, you need to believe that God will save you. Look at Daniel 3.17. And he will save us from your power. Now I want you to pause here and just think a minute. These are young professionals. They're about 30 years old at this point in time in Daniel 3. And they are standing up to the most powerful man in the world. Everybody else is kissing up, but they are standing up. They're saying, King, no, we're not stuck up, we're not kissing up, but we will stand up. Our God can save us, and guess what? Our God will save us. When you know God's promises for your life, I don't care what the circumstances may be, that you are being tested with, you don't have to worry. Let me give you a promise that I am sure they were claiming. Isaiah 43, two and three. When you go through deep waters and get great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God. I believe that God can save me. I believe that God will save me. And I don't have to worry. There is a fourth thing that we see in this story, and it is this. I announce my loyalty to God no matter what. If you're gonna have a one-on-one -on -one with your boss or with someone else, something in regards to your integrity, your, 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 your godliness, your, your faith. Announce your loyalty to God no matter what the outcome is. Take a look at verse 18. But even if God doesn't save us, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. That is pretty courageous, wouldn't you agree? They are announcing their faith in advance. We know that God can save us. We know that God will save us. But if God chooses not to save us, understand this. We are not going to bow down and compromise our character, our integrity. 
Now, I want to pause here for a second and just say this. When God works in your life, he works in three ways. Will you write these down somewhere in your notes? I know it's tight. This is really a two-hour message that I condensed just for us. And it's this. God works in these three ways. One, sometimes God takes you from the crisis. He helps you to avoid the crisis through a divine intervention. You got stuck at that light one minute longer than what you should have and you were hot, but God saved you from something else. Secondly, sometimes God saves us through the crisis. He doesn't take us from it. He allows us to go through it, but he gives us the strength to handle it. Or number three, Sometimes God saves us by the crisis. And what I mean by that is sometimes the problems that you and I are experiencing are not the real problems. The problem is that our faith isn't genuine. I have had people come in who have had thoughts of God. Oh yeah, I believe in God. And then as we have dived in, we've discovered that they haven't dropped him from their head to their heart. Let me give you an example of this. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Be glad about this. In other words, these trials, tribulations, the heat. Even though it may now be necessary for you to be sad for a while because of the many kinds of trials you suffer. Their purpose is to prove that your faith is genuine. God is far more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. He is far more interested in your eternal destiny than he is in your temporal life. Now these guys directly challenge Nebuchadnezzar's deity. Nebuchadnezzar says, I want you guys to worship me right now. I'm number one, I'm the best, I've got all the power. And they don't, and he gets madder than a hornet. Take a look at verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than normal. Normal would have fried anybody. What is this? Folks, this is overkill. I want you to think about this. When someone overreacts to you because of your faith, just know that the more extreme they are, the more insecure they are. Will you write this down? People who are secure in what they believe aren't insecure in what other people believe. Folks, I know what I believe. I believe my beliefs and I doubt my doubts. And when someone challenges my faith, I just politely engage with them. Why? Because I am secure in my faith and I am not insecure in theirs. When people are fighting with their own beliefs, guilt, conscience, or past, oftentimes they will take it out on you. And yet it is not a matter of your faith. Folks, it's about them. 
So let's take a look at what King Nebuchadnezzar did and what God did. Daniel 3, 20 and following. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. What is about to happen in this story are six things that you need to know when the heat is on. The first one is this. Will you write this down? God will walk, walk through the fire with you. He won't leave you alone. Let me read Daniel 3, 24. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and asked his advisors, didn't we tie up, the, uh, tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, we did, they said. Well, look now, he shouted. You can see four men now, unbound, walking around freely in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth man looks like the son of the gods. Now, I don't have time to explain this, but this fourth person, the one that looked like the son of a gods, is the son of God. It is the pre-incarnate Christ. When Jesus was the incarnate on earth, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never forsake you, even to the end of the age. His presence is always with us, even in the fire. The second thing, will you write this down? God will burn off everything tying me down. I absolutely love this. As they were looking in, they weren't burnt up. Their clothes weren't burnt up. Their turbans were okay. The only thing that was burnt off them was the man-made rope. Question, what's got you tied up this morning? What's holding you back? What's limiting you right now? God will take you through the fire. His presence will be with you. You will be okay. But guess what? There are going to be some things that are going to be burnt off. God sins oftentimes, as we say, trials, tribulations, and troubles. He, he sends hardships to burn off some of those man-made things that are limiting our potential. Take a look at this out of Isaiah 48.10. I have refined you, but not in the way silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the furnace of suffering. God uses hardships oftentimes to refine us, to purify us, to get us to think the right way. And this leads to number three. God, will you write this down? God will give me a new freedom. What happens when you and I go through the fire is that we come out with a new liberty, a new freedom. What the world wants to use to enslave me, to destroy me, God wants to use to free you up. Take a look at Psalms 66, verse 12. You let captors set foot on our neck. Then we went through fire and water, and you led us out to freedom. Will you circle that freedom? 
God wants you to be free. And oftentimes through the trials and the troubles and the tribulations of life, these furnaces, these fires that we go through, what he wants us to know is truth. Because Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And when you and I know the truth of who God is, and when we realize the truth of who we are, who we created us to be, folks, that is when freedom comes. God will give you a new freedom. The fourth thing, will you write this down? God will make sure I come out unharmed. Here's what happens in the story in Daniel 3, 26 and 27. Then, that is after the fire, Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Stop right there. What just happened? You might write in your notes, he just got converted. Hey, I want you to know it's all about me. I'm God. And now he is declaring servants of the Most High God. We're going to see this, evidence of this, a little bit later. Servants of the Most High God, come out. Come out at once. Notice how he didn't invite the God out. He's still a little unsure about this God, but he invites them out nevertheless. So the three men stepped out of the fire. Then the princes, prefects, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Folks, nothing touched them. They enjoyed walking in the fire. They were unbakable. Why? Because God was on their side. Number five, write this down. If I trust God when the heat is on and I show my faith while I'm in the furnace, it will bring unbelievers to God. It is a testimony. It is a witness. It will help people come into faith with God. How much you trust God, not how much you complain, how much you gripe, how much you moan, no, how much you trust God may be the most powerful witness that you have to some of your family members who don't know Christ, some of your coworkers who don't know Christ. People will see you going through the fire and they will ask you this question, how in the world are you making it, man? How are you making it? And then you have an opportunity, guess what? It's not me, it's Christ in me. God is on my side. Now notice what happens here in verse 28. Then the king said, praise. Will you circle that? Nebuchadnezzar was converted, and now what is he doing? He's worshiping. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent an angel to rescue his servants. They trusted in him. They defied my command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Yet, Nebuchadnezzar is worshiping. He's still kind of cloudy, but he's worshiping. He's worshiping the true God. Why? Because they defied the king and were willing to die for it. Let me ask you this. 
all that's going on in our world, what are you willing to die for? If you don't know what you're willing to die for, you'll never be able to know what to live for. Are you willing to die? Are you willing to sacrifice? Maybe I should say, are you willing to live a full, fully functioning follower of a follower's life for Jesus Christ? If you will, guess what? It will affect your families to the third and fourth generation. Do you realize that there are some trees that only grow, germinate, and grow because of fires? There is a tree in New England, the jack pine cone tree, that the seeds are so tightly bound in that pine cone, pine cone with the resin that only a fire is able to melt the resin where the seed will pop out and then it will germinate. Some of the greatest things that will happen in your life in regards to your families, to the faith of others that you are concerned about, will happen when you go through the fire and they look. In fact, will you write this down? New life springs out of fire. And here it is. Here's the new life. Look at, look at what Nebuchadnezzar does. Therefore, I make this decree. If anyone says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be put to death and their houses will be destroyed. He's still acting like a dictator. Not a lot of transformations happened here yet, okay? But look at, he's making this decree. There is no other God who can save anyone like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Will you circle the phrase, there is no other God, or there's no other God who can save anyone like this. Folks, there's no God that can save like this. 2,500 years after that story, guess what? That statement is still true today. No other God can save like our God. I want that written on my tombstone. I can't think of anything that would be better to be eulogized for than, you know what? There was no other God like Jesus that saved Pastor George. And are we glad that he did? No other God can save you. No other God can rescue you. No other God can deliver you. And by the way, no other God can promote you. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or the north or the south. Promotion comes from God. And God will test you before he blesses you. And stress always comes before success. And this leads to the sixth. God will reward my faith in heaven. Let me read this out of 1 Corinthians 3. Each of us must be careful how we build, that is our lives, because Christ is the only solid foundation. Whatever we build on, that foundation will be tested by fire. If what we built is left standing, we will be rewarded. But if what we've built is burnt up by the fire, we will lose our reward. Yet we will be saved like someone escaping from the flames. God rewarded Daniel's three friends. I want God 
to reward you. More than anything else, I want you to stand before the Father and hear his words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your master. God promoted Daniel's three friends. And God wants to promote you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God and that you have called us to trust in you at all times, to acknowledge you in all our ways, to not lean on our own understanding, but to acknowledge you and follow in the paths that are right. And you have told us that if we would, that you would establish us, that you would promote us. And today, God, we say we need you. You are our God. You are the one that saves. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. Maybe you are one who has had God just in your head, but you haven't dropped him in your heart. Will you do that today? God wants to use what you're going through so that you know that you have a genuine faith. Not just a head faith, but a heart faith. And that can happen just by saying, God, I admit. I admit that I've blown it. And I'm, a and I'm, and I'm asking you to forgive me. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I want to become one of your children. And so right now, I'm confessing you to be God, to be my boss, and to help me follow you from this day forward. And if you prayed that prayer in, in the way that you just felt comfortable in praying, I want to let you know this, God heard you. Would you just let me know on your communication card, just write your name, email address, check the appropriate box, throw it in the offering basket as it goes by, and I will get you some literature that'll help you understand your newfound faith. God, you're good. You're great. You're awesome. We thank you for this spiritual family. We thank you for these kids. We thank you for all the volunteers. We thank you for all the things that you taught us this past week. We thank you for the rest that you gave us on Saturday and the strength to come back today, God. We thank you that you're always with us. You're awesome. In your son's name we pray. Amen.